Welcome to Premier Health Now On Air. Wow, what a fast summer. It's already time for back to school, and that can be bumpy for kids and families. Today we have tips straight from the source about what you should know and do to get the school year off to a smooth start. We're glad you're along. I'm your moderator, Leslie Lane. With me today from Premier Health Family Care North is Dr. Michael Barrow, a specialist in both family practice and sports medicine. Welcome. Thank you. We're also happy to have April Taylor, a licensed school nurse with Tip City Schools. That's one of Premier Health's partner schools. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Let's start with the non-negotiables. Ohio, I believe, has rules about vaccines and physicals before children can enter the classroom. April, we can't cover every situation here, but what are the ground rules that parents should know about vaccines, and where could they get the specifics to make sure their child is ready? Well, the Ohio Department of Health mandates that all children have vaccines in order to attend school, and they actually have a 14-day window once school starts to get those completed. Many parents are familiar with their physicians and using that as a resource to get their vaccines completed, as well as the health department is another option. And they're different for different ages, I presume? Yes, there are. Preschool level students have vaccines in order to attend preschool or even daycare. And you're not done just with the little kids? There are boosters? Yes. Other updates? Yes, once we get into the older age group, um, the seventh graders, the state has mandated just a few years ago that they have a Tdap booster, which protects against pertussis, as well as now meningococcal as part of that series. So check with your family doctor. Yes, please do. So Dr. Barrow, that would be you. Let's talk about those requirements for physicals. The only one that's fully required by the state for school is the one for kindergarten. The other that we hear the most about are the sports physicals, which are required once a year prior to participation in any type of organized sport that's recognized through the OHSAA. And what do those physicals entail? The physicals really entail a a comprehensive review of the patient's health, and specifically the things that we focus on uh, when we're doing the sports physicals is really the cardiac history, the concussion or brain history, as well as any other chronic problems they have. Uh, They've actually got some extra rules and programs that parents have to sign off on now with respect to the sports physicals related to concussions as well as to heart. And I want to get into concussions in a a little bit, so we'll, we'll save that. So this time of year, we get constant reminders about making sure our kids are well stocked for school with pencils and papers and technology. But research shows that one of the most important factors in preparing for school success is sleep. So what would you like parents to think about and do about the sleep their kids get or don't get? As the school nurse, it's important for us to educate parents the importance of getting their children to bed early, making sure their diet is in order as well. Sleep is so important in the classroom. As a school nurse, we see quite a few kids that will leave the classroom to come to the clinic to sleep, and it's my job to get them back to the classroom. So we work with both the teaching staff and the parents to educate each other about sleep and the importance of it. And I'd like to follow up with that on with respect to sports and athletics, that there's been studies done with the NCAA athletes that uh, loss of sleep or, or not getting enough sleep adversely impacts their performance in athletics. And so... For a lot of our high school and middle school athletes, they can actually see that their athletic performance improves if they get enough sleep. And so ways that I try to help them see that as well as to get their parents to help them get on board with that is to have a regular sleep schedule 
and observe what we call sleep hygiene. That is, before they go to bed, they've kind of got the same bedtime routine that they go through so that they're able to be relaxed and their brain is ready to go to sleep. Unfortunately, with the advent of all the the social media and electronics and stuff, which are not bad or good, they're just, they are what they are, uh, oftentimes kids are staying up to do homework because they've been on their social media before. They're not necessarily staying up to be on social media, but it's because of the social media that they're ending up having to stay up to do their homework. And so if parents could help them get organized so that they're able to get their homework done earlier in the day, then perhaps they could still spend some time on social media but not have to stay up to do their homework. So we mentioned sleep hygiene. What does that entail? Sleep hygiene would include not only going to bed at a certain time, but also making sure you're eating the proper foods, um, getting exercise. It's really, really important. Those are all a combination with the sleep hygiene. And I think one thing that we also need to remember is that as kids get older, that the chemicals in their brain and their body change so that they actually have a different sleep cycle than what they have when they're younger. So your elementary kids typically will be much more willing to go to bed earlier just because the natural uh, spike of melatonin in their body occurs at an earlier time. And in teenagers, that oftentimes doesn't occur until about midnight. So teenagers just naturally want to stay up, and that's not because they're being um, difficult or anything like that. It's just chemically within their body, the melatonin levels don't spike until a little bit later, and melatonin is the sleep hormone. Likewise, it doesn't wear off till later either. So that's why they like to stay up late and get up late. And younger kids will do the opposite. So you have to kind of recognize that, but that doesn't mean that they should be staying up until 2 or 3 in the morning. You still have to help them get organized and, and take advantage of the sleep when they can. So is it urban myth that having the electronic screen on in your bedroom actually affects your ability to go to sleep, that you're looking at that light, that bright screen. So if you stay up running through your social media for an hour before bedtime, does that have an impact? Absolutely. And it's not over myth. And that's why some of the, the manufacturers have come up with the nighttime mode for the screens so that you don't get as much of the blue light waves that tend to stimulate the brain more and keep you awake. Now, having said all that, it's still not a good idea to be on the, the social media much prior because you're making your brain think a lot more and oftentimes kids are in their bed scrolling through their Facebook or through their Twitter account or Instagram or whatever they're looking at and we really need to be helping them get into a position where they're relaxing their brain some because that's very stimulating the brain to be looking at that that screen and then interacting with it. Do you recommend a media curfew? Media curfew would be uh, ideal. Uh, that might be somewhat challenging to enforce as a parent, but ideally, yes, and a media curfew would be good. Well, back to school involves a lot of transitions, and it's not just the bedtime transition. We've been staying up late in the summer, and now all of a sudden we have to get up at 5 o'clock, and so we're going to bed earlier. But there might be new schedules, new school, new teacher, new classroom, certainly new expectations that must hit kids differently at different ages. What are some of the biggest challenges you see kids having in those first few days and weeks of back to school? Like what kind of transitions give them trouble? At the school, we see students having difficulty just getting back into a regular schedule. 
many of them that are transitioning schools, like from like elementary into a junior high, that's all new because they're not in one classroom anymore. Now they're changing classes. So new friends are involved with that as well. The teachers, we have open house, so we have times that the parents come in with the student and they'll do an, a tour of the building and they'll go through their schedule before school even starts and kind of pretend that they're in school. And that transition helps a lot when we give them that practice. Isn't it a, a standard anxiety dream that you're in your school and you can't figure out where your classroom is? I mean, that, that level of anxiety sticks with us, I think, even as adults. So what other things besides visiting the school might parents do to help, say, little ones prepare for transitions and success? I think for the younger age group, the kindergartners especially, the parents are the ones having the most difficulty with the student coming to school. It's important, though, for us to keep them at school and not take them home because that happens a lot. The parent will pick up the student if they're not adjusting very well, especially the younger age group because it's new to them. I think it's important for parents just to stay consistent with it and encourage them this is a safe place and that learning's important for them. And that's talk they could be having even before they get to school. Yes. My daughter actually teaches kindergarten, and she says that, you know, the kids are oftentimes anxious, the parents are anxious, sometimes the kids are anxious because the parents are anxious. But most times, not always, but most times, once the parents have exited, then the kids switch to kid mode and they're playing with their friends, they're coloring or doing kickball or whatever the the group is doing. There is an occasional one that, that has some separation anxiety, so I don't want to minimize that. But in general, it's a lot less traumatic on the kids, I think, than than it is on the parents. Well, and now since you brought that up, I was going to say we could be fair and say that transitions are tough for parents, too, and families. And I wonder what you... Uh, recommend to families who are having trouble getting themselves into this new routine, into a smooth transition. Do you have any go-to tips that you advise parents that you see struggling? In the school, it's important for them to get in contact with the teacher. They work as a team together with the parent. That's always a great way to help the student transition well into the building or whatnot. But I think it's important to involve the teacher and work as a team. I would totally agree with April on that, that involving the parents and the teachers together is is key you know the I think the parents need to gradually become less hands-on it's not completely hands-off but there is an intermediate zone between hands-on and hands-off and certainly when they're going to kindergarten you're going to be more involved than when they're going to their senior year in high school but having said that the parents still need to be involved and not helicopter, but at least be aware of what's going on so they know what they can talk to their kids about and be involved in their life. It sounds like some homework parents need to do then. Yes, absolutely. Sports are such a huge part of school life, even for little ones. Dr. Barrow, there are plenty of benefits to taking part in sports and also risks. So what are the first steps you want parents to think about when their child wants to get into sports? I think especially with the elementary age kids that if they exhibit an interest in sports and support that in whatever way you can but it needs to be fun and it needs to be something they pick to do not something the parent picks to do and unfortunately I think a lot of us as parents were either successful athletes or weren't successful athletes and we want to see our kids do well and be what we were or be what we weren't or they've got good friends that are on a team and we want them to be on that team because they're good friends on the team And the reality is, especially for the younger kids, 
it's got to be fun. I, and it's got to be fun for the high school kids too. But, but I think especially when you're starting, if, if it's not fun, they're ultimately not going to do it. Or they'll do it, but it'll be a miserable experience for all parties. So I would encourage parents to help them find something they like doing, knowing that not every kid is going to want to do sports. They may want to do something else, but help them find something they like and, and want to do. And then when they change and they next year they want to do football rather than soccer, that's okay. Let them experiment. Studies show that the more variety they have, ultimately the better athlete they become. And we shouldn't leave sports without a caution about concussion. We did mention that earlier. What do you want parents and kids to keep top of mind? Concussions are bad. And unfortunately, we have focused on the NFL-type things and the memory issues that occur after that. But the reality is there are some immediate consequences to concussions that we need to be aware of that affect uh, learning, sleep, moods, uh, learning disabilities, that type of thing. So I think any time that a a youngster has received a head injury or has been jarred, because you don't have to necessarily be hit in the head to get a concussion. If you're just jarred, for example, I've seen a basketball player before that has taken a charge and landed on his backside and head never hit the floor but got a concussion from him. So I think you just need to be sensitive to what your kids are telling you, what they're going through. If they're complaining of headaches and they don't normally have headaches, then there might be a problem. Or if the teacher calls and says, hey, look, you know, your kid is not doing real well in in school now. I don't know if something's going on. Well, think about what that is. I've had teachers before that have referred patients to me or referred students to me that were all of a sudden not performing well in school. And it was the teacher that picked up they'd had a concussion, nobody else. And sometimes the kids recognize it, sometimes they don't. I mean, if you think about a concussion, which is an alteration in mental status, you might not legitimately know that you've got a concussion. Is this something that you're seeing, April? Yes, we work very closely with physicians and concussion protocol in the schools. It's important for parents to let the staff know, especially the school nurse, maybe even the teacher or school counselor, if their child has sustained a concussion, because it does affect classroom ability. We see students with headaches, like Dr. Barrow said, along with excessive sleeping in the classroom. So when they come to the clinic and they have a headache, I have to ask sometimes many questions to get to, oh, you sustained a concussion or you were hit last night at soccer and didn't tell your parents. So then we make the phone call home for them to be assessed. But, yeah, we work very, very closely with return to play protocol that the physicians are putting in place in the clinic and the school. So it sounds like the physician, the parents, the school nurse, the teacher all need to be very much aware. Yes. It's really a team effort to to do that because if you have athletic trainers at the school, we typically incorporate them. Coaches are really a part of the treatment team, too, because we're asking them to make some modifications in what they're doing because we don't want to take the kids out and make them feel like they're not a part of the team anymore. That's a very socially important thing for them. So we want them to still be incorporated, but their roles definitely got to change. And so we need the coaches to embrace that also. And I think nowadays the coaches are really on board with that most times. Well, you have given us a lot to think about today, but I wonder before we wrap, if there's One parting thought you really wish parents or kids would keep in mind as they head back to school. Going back to school is an exciting time. Lots of energy, lots of new adventures ahead, and we are excited for the students to report back to school. 
I totally echo what April uh, said. You know, really, a lot of this is supposed to be fun. Not every aspect of school is fun because it is, does involve learning, and sometimes that's not as much fun as you would hope. But there's a lot of activities that, that go around with school, whether it's clubs or sports or just hanging with your friends. It's all important. And part of this is that whole socialization and learning process to get you ready for life. It's a protected environment where adults that care about you can hopefully impact you and mentor you so that, you know, when you come out on the other end that you're a productive um, adult in society and are well-adjusted. We are grateful to Premier Health Family Care North and Dr. Michael Barrow and to April Taylor, licensed school nurse with Tip City Schools. Thank you both for spending time with us today. If you want to know more, visit premierhealth.com slash health now. We'll be back. We hope you will. I'm Leslie Lane. Thanks for joining us. And watch for our next edition of Premier Health Now on air.